0: All right, so my question for you as we begin this morning is Were you ever the last one picked in grammar school for like softball or kickball, baseball, any of those sporting things? Were you ever the last one picked? Mr. Irrelevant is the nickname that's actually given to the person who's picked last in the NFL draft. Imagine this Mr. Irrelevant. After each draft, the new Mr. Irrelevant and his family are invited to spend a whole week in the summer in Newport Beach and listen to what they get. This is the guy who was chosen last in the NFL draft. They give him a trip to Disneyland. They give him a golf tournament. They give him a roast so they can give, you know, some advice to the new draftee. They give him a ceremony and award him the Loesman Trophy, which is supposed to mimic the Heisman Trophy. But do you know something? That sometimes the person who's picked last actually does better than expected. Amen. Let, let me give you an example. The first Mr. Irrelevant to make the Pro Bowl was Bill Fisher. He was the last pick of the 1948 NFL draft. He was drafted by the Chicago Cardinals, which isn't even a team any longer, after his junior season at Notre Dame. But he opted, instead of going into the NFL, to stay in school. And he won the Outland Trophy as the nation's top interior lineman in 1948. The Cardinals then redrafted him in 1949, but this time as a first round draft pick. (laughs) Keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter one, as we continue in that verse by verse study through the Gospel of Mark. As you're turning there, let's catch up where we were last week. We discovered that being obedient to the Lord's will and the Lord's call in our life doesn't always mean that life is going to be easy. But as we obediently follow him and his will, we come to find out that he's going to work all things together for our good and for his glory. Remember, Jesus was actually driven into the desert to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. Imagine this. God sent his own son to be tempted. And then, once John the Baptist was imprisoned, Jesus could begin his Galilean ministry. And again, being obedient to the Lord, you would think that life's all roses afterwards, and that's just not true. We live in a fallen world. Sin happens, bad things happen. We live in a fallen world, but the Lord promises He will use all things for your good and His glory. And so, today, We're going to learn about some people that God called as his first disciples and what a motley crew these people are. I want to tell you, but this should give you hope just hearing about these people. But we're also going to hear how they left their old life behind to obediently follow Jesus. So if you have your sermon notes, Roman numeral one, fishermen are called to follow. If your Bibles are open, Mark chapter one, let's begin at verse 16. It says, and as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Catch this. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Jesus, our king, is unlike any other king we've ever met. And his kingdom is unlike any other kingdom we've ever seen. If I were the king of the world, I think there's a song like that, right? (laughs) If I were the king of the world, I won't sing. But if I were the king of the world, I tell you what I'd do. (laughs) I wouldn't pick these guys, right? I'd pick anybody but these guys. First Corinthians 126 says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh... Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. David Guzik said this. God was at his most foolish and very weakest at the cross. But it was definitely wiser and stronger than anything man can do. Salvation is not the achievement of human wisdom. It's the embrace of God's dramatic, unexpected love at Calvary. And so as we look through the Bible, I mean, I really love that as you look through the Bible and you see the men and women that God has called, it really helps me. And maybe you don't struggle with this, but it helps me with my insecurities. It, it, it helps me with my unworthiness. It, it, it helps me with all my doubt. Because if God can use David, if God could use Peter, boy, he could sure use rich. (laughs) There in your notes, the people God called and used for his service were not wise, mighty or noble. God did not call them because of what they were, but he called them in spite of what they were. King Jesus goes to this small town in Galilee And he calls these uneducated, burly, unhousebroken fishermen as his first disciples. These are the first guys he calls. Surely, Jesus, I mean, maybe you would call him, but like number 450 or something. No, first ones. Now, if you study John chapter one, we're told that Jesus actually met these guys months earlier and These guys had already trusted Jesus for salvation. So this was not a call to salvation per se, but this is a call to discipleship. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. You've been saved. Great. Now follow. You, You see, the call to follow Jesus as a disciple is exactly what the kingdom business is all about. Go and make disciples, I think Jesus said right before he left the planet. And so what did Jesus, what did the king call these men to do? Follow me. Follow me. What I do, you do. Follow me. You see, the king is not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. R. Kent Hughes said, the words of Jesus here were a sharp military command. Follow me. There in your notes. To answer the call from the king demonstrates that true repentance and believing in the gospel results in abandoning one's former life to follow Jesus from then on. What's so unique about this call, though, and, and this is something about history you should know. That during this time, if a young man wanted to learn from a rabbi, he would go to the rabbi and initiate the relationship He would go to the teacher and say, hey, can I follow you? Can I have a relationship with you? But here, Jesus called them. He initiated it. You see the flip there? The king initiated. The king called. And they responded. That is so cool to me. So Simon, the first guy we see here, is Simon Peter. He's also known as Cephas. Peter was the first person To confess that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus told him, you know, Peter, that was not given to you by man, but my father in heaven told you that. Peter was also part of the inner circle. If you remember, you go through scripture, there were like three guys that were part of Jesus's inner circle. Yes, he had the 12, but he had three guys that he really had like a small group of men. And even though he was part of the inner circle, you know, this guy made a lot of mistakes. (laughs) Peter was strong-willed and if this sounds familiar just hush (laughs) he was strong-willed he was impulsive he was a brash follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and he failed so many times while serving Jesus here's just a couple that I thought of remember during the storm Jesus walking on the water and he bids Peter come out of the boat Come follow me. And Peter actually obeyed for like three seconds. Then he took his eyes off of the Lord and he began to sink. How about this one? Peter rebuked Jesus when Jesus said, I'm going to be handed over to the leaders and killed for the remission of your sins. One of my favorites, Peter, big mouth, love him. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Here's Jesus in all his glory and heaven opens up and the father speaks to him. And Peter goes, wow, Jesus, you're almost as good as Moses and Elijah. Let me build three tabernacles to all three of you. You're almost as good as them. How about in the Garden of Gethsemane? And this one really kind of poked me in the eye. In The Garden of Gethsemane, they come to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do? Takes his sword out, whacks the ear. Malchus, the servant of the high priest, just takes his ear off. After Jesus was arrested, remember, Peter denied Jesus three times in a row. And this was after he told Jesus, I don't care if everyone else denies you. I will never deny. I will die for you. Fast forward 10 minutes later in the gospel and here's Peter. I don't know him. There in your notes. After Peter was surrendered to the Holy Spirit, he became one of the mightiest followers of the Lord. Again, this gives me hope. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, maybe you remember the story. Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people come to Christ in one sermon. This is the big mouth, the one who denied the Lord. This is the one who did all those things. And yet he preaches his first sermon filled with the Holy Spirit and 3,000 souls come to Christ. Acts 2.40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about three thousand souls were added to them. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter later prays and people are healed. Peter later preaches the gospel to Gentiles at Cornelius's house. Peter goes on to be one of the mighty warriors of the early church. He also mentored John Mark and gave him the firsthand account for the gospel we're studying. This is Peter. And then finally, the thanks that Peter got. He died as a martyr. The very way that Jesus told him he was going to die. The cool thing about this is, is Simon Peter originally met Jesus through his brother. And that's the second person mentioned here is Andrew. Andrew became a follower of Jesus after he was originally a follower of John the Baptist. Remember what John the Baptist said, right? He must increase. I must decrease. Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew goes, hey, see ya. I'm following Jesus. Right. (laughs) By the way, that's our job in ministry. If you're following a person, something is off follow Jesus there in your notes Andrew was known for bringing people to Jesus after Andrew discovered Jesus he immediately went and told his brother Simon Peter about the Messiah and then brought Peter to him Andrew's also the guy who brought the little boy with the two little fish and five loaves that fed the five thousand in John chapter 12 Philip and Andrew bring some Greeks to Jesus and meet Jesus And the thanks that Andrew got. Tradition tells us that Andrew was crucified on an X shaped cross. But notice Jesus called them to follow him. And Jesus didn't say, get cleaned up. Go change your clothing. Smell better and take a shower and come follow me. No, Jesus said, come follow me and I will change your life. You see the difference? This isn't self-will or this isn't I can do it. This isn't fleshing it out, white knuckling. Jesus said, follow me. I'll change your life. It's not a you thing. It's a me thing. Kingsbury said the purpose of discipleship is announced by Jesus in his call to Simon and Andrew. Come after me and I'll make you fishers of men. Plainly, discipleship has its mission work and its purpose. You see, contrary to popular belief, when the Lord saves you, it's not just for all state fire insurance. <laughs> IGM baby, I got mine. No. When you get saved, there's a purpose. For you being left behind. If Jesus didn't have a purpose for your life, you would not be breathing. Put your right hand over your heart. No, we're not going to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Do this for me. Go ahead. It's all right. Your neighbors won't look silly at you. If your heart's still beating, God has a purpose for you. Okay? Wiersbe said, but Jesus didn't invent the term fishers of men. Okay? In that day, fishers of men was a common description of philosophers and other teachers who captured men's minds through teaching and persuasion. They would bait the hook with their teachings and then catch disciples. Notice what these men did. They left everything they knew behind. Everything. Their supposed financial security and all the family ties. They left it all. They left the nets. They dropped the nets. They take off. You know, there's a lot of men and women who think that following Jesus means I'm going to be a consultant for Jesus in my life now. That's the relationship we have. So Jesus, this is how this would be nice and this should work out. Maybe you could be a life coach for me, but I'm going to tell you how I want things. But that's not what we see here. What we see here, these fishermen did not ask Jesus for advice on their current life situation. Jesus uh. How would it work out uh, for us to be more profitable in our fishing? Drop the net. Follow me. All right, let's go. Jesus, could you just give me some tools in my current life? No, follow me. He was inviting them to follow his will, his rule for their life. And they did it. Can I just tell you, there's nothing in your walk that will make you grow more than when you commit to follow. By the way, it's not going to be easy. I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods. If you say, Jesus, I'm following you, come what may, hold on. Man, it's going to get rocky in here. I'm just telling you. But it's the best ride you'll ever be on. It's the most fulfillment you'll ever get in life. The abundant life happens when you follow. And I've been a Christian a long time. Can I just tell you, knowing Jesus is life's greatest adventure? It just is. I mean, there's been some valleys. There's been some deserts. There's been some mountaintops, too. It's never been boring. There in your notes, when a person truly follows Jesus, they begin to lose their own self-absorption, self-centeredness, while drawing others to the Redeemer and King. They become fishers of men. You see, our King, he's so cool. And he is committed to finishing the good work he began in you. And sometimes you might think, But I really don't like his methods. Well, when you signed on the dotted line for Jesus, yeah, you got eternal life. But he cares about you and he's going to draw you. And and again, notice verse 18. Peter and Andrew immediately drop their nets and follow. Got to love that. All right. Roman numeral two. So more fishermen are called. Look at verse 19. It says when he'd gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. without a moment 's hesitation. Jesus says, "And you two, come on, follow me." And immediately they leave Dad with the servants and the nets and the boat got to go. And they follow Jesus like Andrew and Peter, James and John leave behind everything they knew about their past life. Everything. Leaving family and following him literally means went after Jesus. That's what it means. You left everything. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. What a promise. If you seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me. Guaranteed. There in your notes, like Andrew and Peter, James and John obey Jesus' call to follow him. But like the other two fishermen, they also had rough beginnings. Let's talk about these two guys for a minute. Also like Peter, these two were the other part of his inner circle. Peter, James and John, his inner circle. But they also made a tremendous amount of boo-boos. In Mark 3, they're actually called the sons of thunder, the sons of thunder. And you might go, well, what does that mean? Because they were rough fishermen and they were colorful characters. They never backed down from a confrontation. In fact, they went out looking for confrontations. Luke 9.52 says this. As they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. Just imagine walking along, they disrespect Jesus and... Hey, Jesus, let me call down fire and burn them right here. Grace and mercy. Burn them to ash. When Jesus spoke of his upcoming death, let's see who they were thinking about. This is James and John. Jesus just said, I'm about to die. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles and I'm going to go through these fake trials and they're going to crucify me. And James and John are so concerned with Jesus. This is what they said. Mark ten thirty five. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and your other on your left hand in glory. Well, that's a bummer you're about to die, Jesus. That's a real bummer. Hey, we want to be number one and number two. How about it? By the way, this is not James, the half brother of Jesus, Okay. who wrote the book of James. But this was James who was full of zeal and passion. And another explanation, because of that zeal and passion, that he was a son of thunder. Now, compared to John, his brother, there's not a lot of information in Scripture about James other than he was full of zeal and wanted to serve. And zeal, of course, means enthusiasm and wanted to pursue a goal or desire. Here's the thing. Though James made plenty of mistakes... He always came back. Though he made plenty of mistakes, he wanted to serve Jesus with his whole heart. Yeah, he blew it. And I think he was in pretty good company, folks. But he always, no matter what the challenge, he came back. And and again, the thanks that he got. Historians tell us that he was martyred for his faith about 14 years after the ascension of Christ because of Herod, recognizing that he was a leader of the church. There in your notes, the lesson for us is that whatever our characteristics or gifts, when we dedicate them to the Lord's service, we will accomplish great things for his glory. Now let's talk about John. John's probably the best known guy in all of the New Testament. He's one of the best known disciples for sure. He referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. I love that. The one whom Jesus loved. What a contrast to a son of thunder. I'm the one that Jesus loves. By the way, I'm Jesus' favorite, just in case you were wondering. In John 18, we're told that he was known by the high priest. At the crucifixion, remember, this is the one that Jesus gave care of his mom to John. Woman, behold your son. Behold your mom. Take care of her. When informed about the resurrection by Mary Magdalene, John and Peter ran to the tomb. And I love that John says, by the way, I outran Peter. (laughs) Humble, too. But he wouldn't go in until Peter arrived. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is the guy who wrote five books of the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John, first, second and third John and the book of Revelation. John was active like Peter in the early church. And John teaches us, yes, humility. He really does. Later in life, teaches a lot about humility. But the best thing that John teaches us is about agape love. There in your notes, this kind of love Jesus wants us to demonstrate is a self-sacrificing love focusing on others. Again, John was called the apostle whom Jesus loved. And I think that was a self-given title, but still, Jesus did love him. Do you know that he used the word love over 80 times in his books? 80 times. And and by the way, the Gospel of John, best book to prove that Jesus was God in the flesh. But when Jesus called them, what were they doing? They were mending their nets. And there's a lesson here for us. This is what William Lane said about mending their nets. Mark's term means to properly put things in order, to make ready, and it includes cleansing, mending folding, and preparation of the next day's events. This is the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians 4.12, where Paul describes equipping the saints, mending the nets. Strong's Concordance says this, to equip, therefore, means to complete thoroughly, to repair or adjust, to fit, to frame, to mend, to make perfect, to perfectly join together, to prepare, or to restore there in your notes, James and John learned how to prepare the fishing equipment so later they could equip the saints to follow the Lord, just as they had learned to follow Jesus so let's conclude. I began with the question when you're in grammar school were you ever picked last? and I mean I was I was a little guy all my life, and so I was picked last a lot of times and But you know, sometimes the person picked last does better than expected. 2 Corinthians 5.16 Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, catch this, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, I thought about this quite a bit. So I'm a new creation. And I believe that. I mean, if you knew me 30 years ago, oh, my goodness. But I'm a new creation in Christ. So did God take away my personality? No, he did not. He simply transforms us with our personalities. And I look back at the Apostle Peter. He's completely passionate about certain things. Things And he would tell you whether you wanted to hear it or not. He was going to let you know his opinion. He was a very opinionated guy. But once sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom purposes, he still remained passionate. But this time with the Holy Spirit, he was fulfilling God's purposes of all the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. do You know, Peter was corrected the most. (laughs) I resemble that. But Peter was also built up the most by Jesus. I love that. And as he followed the Lord, God encouraged him and built him up and all that. You see, Jesus knew Peter was capable of being an amazing leader because Jesus made him. I know every hair on your head. I made you this way. And yeah, your personality, though it's a little brash, though it's a little forward, a little sarcastic, maybe needs some correcting. I'm going to use that. And and I love that. Peter went from a man who denied the Lord Jesus Christ to a man who was willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was 17 years old, one day I'm watching Scooby-Doo. And a friend of mine stopped by my house and asked me if I was willing to go with him on a route and deliver some wholesale meats in the San Francisco Bay Area. And he offered me $80 cash. And so, of course, I did. Little did I know that I was gonna work for that business full-time from that time till I was 30 years old. After that, I sold that business, but I consulted for the next several years to the new owner as I went to Bible college and God provided through that business, medical insurance and everything else. I had four kids at home in Bible college. Ever since that time, and even during that time, I have been in a leadership position my entire life. I've never not been in leadership, but like Peter, I'm self-willed. I'm impulsive and I'm a brass follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who's failed many times in ministry. I can't even begin to tell you. But like Peter, the Lord has allowed a lot of things to happen in my life to shave off some of those rough edges so that I would be usable for the kingdom. He also uses my personality for his kingdom purposes. There in your notes, if we're in Christ... We are a work in progress and the Lord will use our life circumstances, his spirit and his word and prayer to chisel us more into his image as he equips us for the call. I'm so glad that God didn't see my brashness or or my impulsivity or whatever and say, I'm done with you, Rich. I'm done with you. you. You don't know how to follow. You don't know how to listen. I'm done with you. Instead, God knew me. But here's the thing, in order to recognize the call in our life, we have to be in his word. We have to be in prayer. We have to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. How are you ever going to recognize his call? I just don't know what the Lord wants from me. Well, how often are you in his word? He he said that he's not keeping his will a secret. Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know, that you may be able to prove what is that good and perfect, acceptable will of God. How often are you in that word? And Jesus's promise was and still is, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. When a person truly follows the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll begin to lose that self-centeredness while drawing others to the Redeemer and King. They become fishers of men. Our King is so committed to you that he's going to finish the good work he began in you. And sometimes that's hard. <laughs> and sometimes it's easy. All you got to do is follow them at any cost. It's really easy. These men were not given the full story. And th- this is reassuring to me. I've often said that, God, I would go to Papua New Guinea this morning. I would go to Africa this morning. I would go anywhere you call me. If you would just tell me how it goes. Tell me the end of the story and I'll go. And God said, no, I'm not telling you the end of the story. Obediently follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He called these four men out and instantly they dropped their nets and left everything behind to follow, to follow total allegiance. Crosswalk.com said this. When Jesus called his first disciples, he called four ordinary fishermen to join him in his journey. He made a simple call, follow. And all four men immediately left their work. Belongings, people, and follow Jesus. All was secondary to Jesus. This serves as a powerful example of what it looks like to follow. When Jesus calls you to follow, nothing else takes first place. Go. But what am I going to do for my... Go. But what am I going to... Go. Go. And you see, The first thing that has to happen is a relationship, because if you don't have a relationship with this guy who's calling you, how are you going to follow him? And so you need that relationship because everything else from life flows out of the relationship with Christ. There in your notes last to truly follow Christ is to put him first in your life and to surrender to his lead. As the disciples followed Jesus wherever he went, we're to follow him as well. Jesus essentially said, follow me wholeheartedly and to fulfill your mission, you're going to lead people to Christ. Following doesn't mean you live independently of the Lord and do things your own way. And you, you know, let God be your advisor. No. You know, you've often heard God is my co-pilot. You stole this chair. Get out of his seat. You're his co-pilot. When you make a commitment to Christ, you're committing to his goals. You're committing to his desires and you're committing to his purposes. And you will point people to Jesus. But I'm not an evangelist. You will point people to Jesus. If you love Jesus, love others. It's very simple that they can find a relationship. You've been called to duty. You've been called. But the difference here is, is that we willingly answer And we follow Jesus. And what he's telling you is, let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. Brad seen the title of this sermon this morning. He goes, I love this sermon already. Let's go fishing. But I don't think that's what Jesus meant. You might say, I'm not an evangelist. You don't have to be. Let me tell you something. In this Mixed up sin filled world in which we live. If you walk around with a piece of Jesus all over your face, someone is going to come to you and want to know what you got. And someone's going to say, hey, what do you got? And you might be like me and stammer and stutter through the whole thing. Wednesday, I was eating pizza and had a gentleman right across from me by coincidence. Introduced myself. Half an hour later, I found myself telling him my whole testimony and telling them about Jesus, and come to find out there was people that I know that knew him too. And that's what it means. I'm not an evangelist either. When people see the peace in your life and they want what you got, tell them how you got it. And you're a fisher of men. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithklamath.com. Make sure, if you haven't already, to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed.